Yo, what is up everybody? It is Music Man back with another episode of Overwatch Now, your one-stop shop for all things Overwatch related and unfortunately doing doing due to schedule conflicts, Dylan will not be here, so it'll be just me for the next um, How long is an hour? How long is 60 minutes? Yeah, yeah, anyways. But um yeah, yeah, so we're going to start off with something that, well, actually a couple of things that came into the patch notes. The first one is that we have a new experimental card out, in the sense that we have a new experimental card out. So, so we're going to be going over that. It seems to be focused more on, on whatchamacallit. No, uh, no, on making the supports, certain supports, more vi viable as well as a couple of DPS. So why don't we get, just get straight into it? We have Anna with her biotic rifle, her primary fire, uh, be having reduced healing from 75 to 70. That that's gonna be an oofers. Like Anna still does a lot of healing, like no, like that. But this is the part that I'm no, I'm not sure because this does. Put her in line with Baptiste healings and Moira he healings, and yes, Moira does heal. Looking at you, damn it, Moira. Uh, so I'm not sure how this will fully affect the lineup. I do think that this will make Anna more interchangeable with, you know, with Moira for the game. But again, all of this is quote-unquote balancing act, pun intended. So. So let's just see how that go that goes on. The experimental card is live now. If you want to check it out and and uh, tell me later. Up next, we have still in the support category, Mercy. The and I apologize if I butcher any of these names. The Caduceus staff right, now has a healing per second increase from 50 to 55. So basically, what that means is that every second that Mercy is healing someone, she's healing for 55 health. Net health originally fifty, which I think does make her viable because the only, the only reason why you see Mercy is because of either Far Mercy or Echo Mercy, which are not bad strats, but they're not always one hundred percent bot. Excuse me, one hundred percent bot not viable. So having this healing buff to Mercy does help her out a ton. So looking forward to seeing how how much. Uh, how much she's gonna be played more, no more now, because she will be played more, no more with stuff like this, especially all the wonderful Mercy One tricks that we have in the community. Up next, we have the we have Moira's Bionic Orb. This is the orb that can change to either healing or damage depending on which mouse click you use, or in the case of Dylan, which trigger you use. So the Bionic Orb, the damage radius is reduced from five meters to four meters, so the orb needs to be closer to you by a meter by meter um, to in order to do damage which before I continue if you're not certain what a meter it is here's what I want you to do I want you to extend your arm all the way any arm it doesn't matter your one meter is the tip of your middle finger from the extended arm to the opposite shoulder that is roughly one meter how I know this my grandpa never taught, never taught me back when he was in the Air Force. But anyways, so moving on, we have the projectile speed of the biotic orb. No orb. 
now being uh, now being increased from 16 to 20. It doesn't really say doesn't say what the uh, unit of measurement is, so that'll be interesting. The projectile duration, however, has been reduced from 10 to 7 seconds. So I feel like with that change in particular, and I think this applies for both the damage and the healing form. What it's basically similar to what they did with Zenyatta. What they did was that they nerfed one aspect but buffed another aspect of, of it. They nerfed the duration of the orb but buffed the, the speed of it to get the same di you know, distance, of, you know, so to speak, there. Or at least that's what it's looking like. Because they don't have the unit of measurement for the speed, it's hard to tell on paper. So that's just one of those where. I may have to just go into Overwatch and try it out, see how far it actually goes. Moving on, we have Zenyatta. Speaking of which, the Orb of Discord, or Discord Orb as most people call it, the damage amplification has been increased from 25% to 30%. So, those of you who don't know uh, anything about Overwatch, Zenyatta is a healer that has, as a part of its ability, a healing orb that you can target teammates with, and a Discord Orb that you target opponents with. What the Discord Orb does is that it increases the amount of damage that opponent ta takes from any damage source. So increasing the damage amplification by 5% does actually mean that, that, that um, the opponents are going to be taking more, dam more damage, significantly more, I've actually ran the numbers. However, Zenyatta still, I feel, in an awkward spot because while he is powerful in his own right as as both the damage dealer and the healer and trance is just if you have trance and your opponents don't anti you that is just a godsend he is slow making him a an easily diveable uh, target so that's just one thing that you've got to watch out for if you're a zen player i don't think that he's going to be seen much outside of dive and spam he might be seen a little bit in Brawl, but the only condition that I would see him being used in Brawl is if your opponent has Azaria, which on ladder, that is going to be most likely the, the case. Nobody runs Ryan with any anything else outside of Azaria, unless, unless it turns out that um, the person is just a really good Reinhardt and can play Ryan with any other tank. I've seen Ryan Sigma on ladder, I've seen Ryan Hog on ladder, I've even done Ryan Diva on ladder. No, on ladder. So it really depends on who your off tank is and who your main tank is to determine what the composition is. But yeah, we might see a little bit more Zenyatta now, but I wouldn't say by much. This is not game changing or anything. Now we have the DPS here, and if you're wondering what that crackle was, that was me having a drink of Wata. You can be sure to hydrate yourself. So, I'm going to start off with Junkrat here. The frag launcher, the primary fire. Projectiles maintain slightly more their velocity on ricochet. So, for those of you who don't know physics, when something ricochets or bounces off of something else, there's usually a lot of, or a certain amount of kinetic energy. That gets lost in it because of the impact. The impact. Now, what this means is that they decided to modify the laws of physics so that the bombs actually maintain more of the initial velo no velocity, which I think is good. It definitely ha 
that helps um, bouncing off wall no walls and stuff like that. It's similar to what um, Sigma's ball, the primary fire, is gonna do now. So that that's gonna be interesting to see. The concussion mine has a couple of changes. The projectile speed has been increased from 20 to 25, which basically means he's gonna throw the concussion mine. He can throw the concussion mine fur no further, which is a nice quality of life buff. No above, nothing too major. And the ricochet distance off of enemy players is greatly reduced. So the thing with concussion mines is that it it ricochets off of players, not off of walls. It actually sticks to walls, which is why which is why you see a lot of uh, junk traps like half the trap on the ground and the uh, mine on the wall. But having it now having it greatly reduced for ricocheting off of players. I feel like that that's gonna be a significant impact because that basically means that the mine is most likely going to land on your opponent's feet, which is good because it still has the same knockback ratio, which means that you can use it to knock players out of position more, more easily. So I think that is that's an overall buff to the mine, which is so far seems like an overall buff to junk junkrat. And lastly, the passive, Total Mayhem, Bomb's Detonation Time reduced from 1 second to 0.7 seconds, and bomb Spread increased by 50%. So basically what that means is that the bombs that Junkrat drops when he, when he dies, he is going to blow up quick, very quicker, might even get like one bounce on the ground depending on where he, di on where he died. No, but um, the spread, however, that I think is going to be the most notable change because that basically means that instead of the balls dropping on one concise location, it's going to be spread, spread out by like half a meter or something like, you know, like that. Which does mean that it is more likely that somebody will get at least get hit. I won't say die, but at least get hit by one of those bombs. No, by one of those bombs if they're close enough and that's the kicker if they're close enough and so it's looking like an overall buffer junk rat i'm pretty sure jake would be proud of this buff no buff might even see him play junk rat more on ladder when he streams again who knows now the next hero the one hero that jeff says we are all looking forward to getting buff bastion and i have to i'm sorry jeff i love you but I have to laugh at this because nobody in my group of friends and people that I've met, nobody enjoys playing Bastion, nobody enjoys playing against Bastion, and it's not because he's not viable, because he is in the pirate ship comp, no, in the pirate ship comp, no comp, but he's also busted in that comp, especially when teams po no, um, pocket hit him like protect the president which is how you should play the pirate ship to begin no with and so and unfortunately your buffs didn't actually help out bastion in any sense so the first buff that i'm going to that i'm going to mention is configuration sentry the spread the, the spread has been decreased by 10 percent and if you don't know what configuration sentry is, that's basically the reason why pirate ship is a comp with ba with Bastion. So, for those of you who hasn't played Overwatch in a long time, let me drop some history on you. Pirate ship was the one of the original comps to play on maps like Junkertown, Town, and to some degree, the Dorado, 
where basically what happens is you would have an Orisa, a Diva, or nowadays a Sigma, Mercy, Baptiste, or Zen, no, or, or Zen, Bastion, and then a flanking D, the DPS. And what you're supposed to do there is set up on on the cart and just protect the Bastion. That's why you have the flanking DPS because the flanking DPS should be able to self-sustain and not have to worry about any any damage from the opponent because they'll be too fit, busy focusing on the rest of the team. So when you set up on the cart as Bastion, that form that you're in, the form where you're the turret just viewing bolts, no bullets, like my turret gun goes that that's basically when you go that's basically um configuration sentry. And what these patch notes say for the experimental card is that the spread decrease means that fashion is gonna be more precise in that mode. And the shots until max spread reduction is lowered from 60 to 40 shots. Now, in sentry mode, Bastion has like 300 bullets in his magazine. So, what's gonna happen is that the overall spread for sentry is going to be smaller by a little bit, and it's going to continue to be smaller, no, smaller within the first 40 shots. So he is going to be one precise turret to deal, no, to deal with, which. If you if you have good aim, this means nothing because uh, because you're able to mow down anybody. Anyways, if you have mediocre or bad aim, net aim, this is going to be a little bit tricky. But at the same time, your focus in that moment would most likely be the shield, so it's not going to make that much of a difference. Um, also, the self repair. This is one of the things that they did, similar to the biotic orb, where the resource drain has been increased by 20%, however the healing per second has been increased from 75 to 90 health, uh, health per, se no, per second. So if you're unfamiliar with Bastion's kit, he has a resource for his self-repair that is on a meter, similar to Moro's healing to Diva's defense matrix, similar to that. So what this is saying is that Bastion can heal himself more. However, it is going to drain his resource quick, no, quicker, which is a fair balance to have. You don't want something to be that overpowered like self-healing. And with that, that is basically all of the patch notes. I will say though that there is another change that will be coming, but I'm going to leave that to the end of the video. So now we are going to go over to the Overwatch League. So first things first. Players being moved around. For example, in the last week, Corey decided to retire from the Washington Justice. Estratus played his last match the last week. No weekend. He's going to shift over to the the content creation aspect. Uh, Vancouver Titans picked up an entire new team and had their debut last weekend in the NA re no, region. And there was one other person. Oh yeah. Slime moved on to the Soul Dynasty, and I believe that there is another tournament happening in the Tier 2 scene that picked up a lot of the old Runaway lineup, aka the old Titans lineup. Now, I don't remember the full details about that, I don't think it's Tier 3, so I'm not going to spend too much time about it, but yeah, there were a lot of roster movements happening. 
is happening. Also, one thing that I almost forgot, because, uh, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Boston Uprising picked up a new off-tank player in Punk. I will admit, when I first heard that Punk was joining the Boston Uprising, I thought he was going to be their soldier player, or their hitscan play, uh, player to compete with uh, Jerry. Turns out that he's their off-tank player, which, you know, cool for, cool for him. We need more tank players off no, honestly, especially main tank player. But I digress from there. So, excuse me. So with, but with that, Brucen also decided to retire. So Boston is still in the same scenario that they are, you know, that they are before picking up uh, Punk. Now, one thing that I would like to commend Boston is that they they do tend to go for the unknown na names in their line in their lineup which i actually think it's a good thing because it does show similar to the vancouver titans lineup it does show that new blood are able to make uh, make the big leagues so we're not just rotating around the same play players especially some of them are retiring and moving on to other games like valorant but yeah because that also works against them because the players are so new like I'm not saying they're new in the sense of new to competitive Overwatch because no player in the Overwatch League is brand new to competitive no Overwatch. No Overwatch. They've all played at least through open division, through content you know, through contenders, or even through past tournaments like the Apex. You no know, Apex no, tournament. Not Apex, that's a region. But yeah, those are all of the roster changes that you know, that happened this over this past week week and a half actually so very interesting to see you know what these new players bring to the table but I'll talk about the Vancouver Titans a little bit more because they did debut their new lineup so what I'll, I'll actually bring that up when I when I actually talk about the Vancouver Titans so first matchup we have on Saturday May 16th at 4 a.m. Eastern time standard or daylights no, I should say. We have Soul Dynasty versus Shengdu Hunter. Now, one thing of note the hero bands for this week are as follows Mei, Tracer, Orisa, and Moira. So, that is going to play to some of these teams' favors, others, not so much. I feel like Soul Dynasty is in the not so much category, mainly because their dive has been looking a little bit on the lackluster side of things along with their Ryan their run compositions so the strongest composition as of right now is spam and that is what's also meta in the game in the game the spam composition like you rarely see people play dive you rarely see people play and then play brawl and that and I think that's because the spam composition is the most practiced in the tier one scene because you have that distance to work off to work off of. Obviously, well, obvious if you're an experienced competitive play no, player, if you see a spam comp, you should probably swap to dive because sp while spam is good for distance, it's good for distance against brawl, no brawl style comp, no comp. With dive, however, you spam has a bunch of slow moving, the slow moving heroes. Usually, there's a May, there's a McCree, no, or a Hanzo. Or Hanzo or any sniper, and there's also a Zen to boost the damage there. So 
those are diveable characters, and if you can manage to dive on them and make them irrelevant, then you're good. Then you're good with countering spam. However, that hasn't really been the case in a lot of these ma matches. So back to Soul Dynasty, I do think that against Shangdu they are going to struggle. Shangdu has a really strong dive composition. Now that I now that I mentioned, what I think is going to happen is that most likely. This is going to be a a dive v dive comp the nah, match. Maybe Soul Dynasty will run the uh, Ryan si Sigma. I know that Shang Du won't because they haven't yet. <laughs> so uh, so um or at least haven't played it well yet. So you know so if that will be the case then if that is the case then. It's going to be three-one in favor of Soul Di no, Dynasty. Like, I believe that Shangdu has the better has the better dive tank lineup, has the better has the better DPS lineup. But at the same time, Soul is more experienced, and with the pickup of Slime, it's going to be difficult to dive the back line. Slime, you know, Slime is just too good at peeling for his you know, his teammates. So, I'm predicting that it's going to be a 3-1 in favor of Chengdu. I do think that Chengdu is going to take a map. I just don't know which one yet. yet. So, that'll be something to look forward to at 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. So, also on Saturday at 6 a.m. following the Soul Dynasty versus Chengdu Hunter map, we have the London Spitfire versus the Shanghai Dragons. Now, I wasn't paying much attention to their last matchup because... I kind of fell asleep during that matchup, and I still have yet to see the bot one week later. So I don't know how they looked. Despite that, I do believe that this is going to be a 3-0 in favor of Shanghai, because Shanghai has been the dominating team this season in the Asian region, the APAC region. So. It's going to be really difficult. London has their work cut out for them. And part of it has to do with experience. The Shanghai roster that they always that they always put in, all of those players are veteran players to the scene. London Spitfire are brand new players except for one player who is currently sitting on their bench. So it's going to be an uphill battle for London. And I don't think it's one that they're going to win at all. So. 3-0 in favor of Shanghai. Up next we have the New York XL at 8 o'clock in the morning that Saturday, which, which depending at the time of this being published will be tomorrow. And we have New York XL versus Hangzhou. I think this is going to be another 3-0 for the weekend because New York, they started off their season in the NA region, in the New York home. No home set, and they looked dominating in in their matches. When they moved to Korea and did their matches there, there, they still look as dominating. So, uh, so with that said and done, I think that this is going to be a 3-0 in favor of New York. May not because I believe that New York is that dominant, because they are, but I also believe that Hangzhou is that. Disorganized. So 
I don't know. I feel like Hong Zhao leaves a lot to be desired here. And I'll go into more detail when I go into a new segment that we'll be hearing more from Dil from Dylan's end next week when he comes back. But yeah, I just don't see how Hong Zhao can beat any team team fight even. <laughs> against the New York XL. So easy 3-0 for the Hangzhou Spark. Moving on to the afternoon matches. We're starting off with the Vancouver Titans against the Houston Outlaws. Now, I've mentioned before that the Vancouver Titans debuted their newest roster into the Overwatch League. And at least one of them, Rolf, their support player, has been in a Major League Tournament before and has performed exceedingly well. And those Major League Tournaments? Apex. So, they had that experience in, in that going for them. However, Houston Outlaws, those players have been together for quite some time already. The team has been in the Overwatch League since preseason, so they do have the Overwatch League experience favoring them. The final matchup for this, I feel like this is going to be a 3-1 in favor of Houston Outlaws. I think Houston is still going to struggle in either the Assault map or the Payload map, map but Control and Hybrid, they're just going... I wouldn't say they're going to dominate. Control is going to be a closer match than, than people would think, but I think that Houston is going to have an easier time on the Hybrid map. So 3-1 favoring Houston. Up next, we have Florida Mayhem versus Washington Justice. This is kind of too hard to predict because Washington, as of right now, only has one DPS player in Tuba. They have three tank players in Vore, Elevode, and Lulsish, who had his birthday recently, so happy birthday, Lulsish. And they only have two support players in Ark and Angot. Now, granted, all of these players are superb in their own right. However, the lack of a second DPS player is going to hinder the Washington Justice. And since they're going up against... Since it's going up against the Florida Mayhem, it's it's going to be an uphill battle for, you know, for Washington. I'm predicting that it's going to be a 3-0 favoring Florida. Yaki and BQB are just both both formidable DPS players that one of them by themselves, it doesn't matter which one, just any one of them can run circles around two, you know, Tuba. So Washington needs to pick up a stellar DPS player to be able to contest with that, which they, which they might before this podcast episode goes live, but who knows. So 3-0 final score again in favor of Florida Mayhem. Up next, we have the Los Angeles Gladiators up against the Boston Uprising. First things first, 3-0 in favor of Gladiators. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Move on to the next one. Just kidding! We're going to talk a little bit about Boston some, some more. Not to just bash on, not on them, because they are a bad team being at the bottom of the stand, you know, standings and on everybody's power rankings. But, no, but it's like, with Boston, it's interesting, because we know Fusions. We know Color Hex. We just learned about Jerry. We know about Mew Jae Hong, and we and we just learned about Halo. Uh, Halo, and we're gonna see the debut of Punk. So a lot of people are trying to shift the blame to one player on the Boston Uprising, when in reality it's the whole team. So maybe there's something that Punk 
has that actually helps the Boston Uprising the Rising be a better team. The team? But then again, Punk has to go up against Space when it comes to the off-tank role, and Space is currently seen as the best off-tank in the Overwatch League. League. So that is going to be an uphill battle for Punk alone. I'm expecting this to be an easy 3-0 for Gladiators, but I'm also looking forward to seeing where Boston stands as far as some of the worst teams of, you know, of the Overwatch League this season. That this season, like Washington Justice, like Hangzhou Spark, and like and like what's another NA one that they're most likely to face up against? Um, actually, no, 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 because the only other NA team that I think that they're going to face up against is Houston Outlaws, and I still think that the Outlaws are going to beat no Boston. No Boston. They've done it before. They'll do it again. And they'll do it again, like they did before, and do it again. But that's only if Houston they uh, phases up against Boston. Which, quick, no, quick note before we move on to the last match of the Saturday evening. Um, this week is actually going to be the last week for the teams to seed for the May tournament next week. Uh, next week. Now, the way that tournament works is that there are going to be two regions. The two tournaments, one for the Asian region and one for the North American re uh, region. We don't know the full bracket yet because people are still playing and competing for their seeds. So, what we're going to see here will basically determine who's going up against who in the ND May tournament next week. That being said, we have as a final match of of this Saturday on 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings. Easter Daylight's time, we have what I think is going to be the single match to watch. San Francisco Shock versus Atlanta Reign. Both of these teams are hella talented. They're talented. Both of these teams are what I would consider to be top 5 or top 10 te teams. I'll go over no more in I'll go over more in a bit. So this is a must-see match. Now, that being said, I do think that this is going to be a 3-2 favoring the Atlanta Reign because I do think that Atlanta has a slight, is slightly better when it comes to flexibility over San Francisco Shock. Now granted, this is not going to be an easy 3-2. This is going to be hard fought by both teams. San Francisco Shock's only hope here, I guess, if you can call it that, is to basically keep Super on the Reinhardt and keep Moth on the Lucio. On the Lucio. Because Moth's Lucio, in case you missed it last week, Moth got three environmental kills off of a single boot last, uh, last week. So that to me shows the amount of talent that even support players need to have in the in the high in this high level game of Overwatch. That being said, I do think that Atlanta Reign is smart. I think that they've seen that bot, and I think that they already know how to count how to counter it, it, so to speak. So I do think that it's going to be a hard fought match. I believe that this is going to end up being a map five, one to one, 99 to 99 victory in favor of Atlanta Reign. 
But like I said, this is a must-see match. And it's at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So if you're up that, you know, that late, which if you're a gamer, you most likely are, you should tune into that. that. It, it, it's just too good to... No, it's just too good to miss. So, that being said, we move on to Sunday morning at 4 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time with with Wong Zhao Chart versus Chengdu Hunter. Now, Wong Zhao is a formidable team. And I think that they're going to take this either 3-0 or 3-1 against the Chengdu Hunter. Now, I mentioned before that Chengdu has a really strong dive composition style team. However, if there's one composition that counters dive, it's Brawl, and Guangzhou Charge has that in their pocket. In their pocket, so I do believe that Guangzhou is going to take this victory, whether it's a three-one or a three-zero. That is yet to be seen. Now, with that said and done, we move on to the 6 a.m. match with Hangzhou Spark versus the London Spitfire. Now, I bashed before that London is basically going to lose against the the Shanghai Dragon. But that's but that's a rookie team up there effectively being paired up against against a a god so no so to speak. A god team. No team this season. Hongjiao Spark is not a god team, so I do see that London is, is going to take this in a 3-1 fashion. I do think that the Sparks are going to give them a little bit of a run for their money on one map. But the other maps is just going to go. They go towards London Spitfire. No questions asked. Hands down. Net down. Dead. Type four. Net type four match. So that sums up all of the AM matches for the Asian region. Let's move on over to the remaining matches for the North American region. We'll start off at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time with Dallas Fuel versus Paris Eternal. First things first, Dallas Fuel has been a little bit, of, not even a little bit, a lot of bit of, you know, of an uptrend here. They have very, very strong synergy with with each other, with their du you know, with their duos. So this is one of those tests, I guess. Nah, I guess to see how strong they are because I do believe that Paris Eternal is a top five team, and I'll get to why in a moment. So. With the Paris Eternal, uh, they have strong DPS players, they have strong tank, the tank players, and they have a strong support, the support play, the players, especially with Fielder playing at 200 ping. He's still in Korea, by the way. So, Primzo, I feel like, is going to have his work cut out when, play, when going up against you know, Fielder, as well as Closer, whoever is going to be the you know, Fielder's counterpart. That being said, on top of having a stellar lineup for both teams, I do feel like Paris' main tank is better than Fuel's main, the main tank. Granted, Fuel's other option for her main tank isn't that much better than, than their current option, which is Gansu, by, by the way, because Gansu has been shown to be more flexible, while Trill kind of shows to be a Reinhardt one trick. So, we're definitely going to be seeing Gamsu put, uh, put in, and in that case, this is going to go 3-2 in favor of Paris. There will be... The maps that Dallas will win are going to be hard-fought maps. However, 
the maps that Paris wins, I think that those are just going to be shut, no, shut out. So I can't say that it's going to be a close 3-2. I can't say that it's going to be an easy 3-2. This is going to be enough. This is going to be another exciting match to watch. Not as exciting as uh, Shock versus Rain, but no, but still exciting nonetheless. What's going to be less exciting though is Philadelphia Fusions versus Vancouver Titans at 5 p.m. on Sunday. But I say that, and now thinking about it, in an interview that with one of the coaches from Philadelphia Fusions, they mentioned that Chipsa most likely will be playing this match. I don't remember if Chips is going to be starting, but we will see Chipsa being played in this match. In this match, and if not, then ooh, Philly, you're a good team, but it's kind of hard to like you if you're going to do it like that. So, with that. I do think that regardless, it's going to be a 3-0 in favor of Philadelphia because even if Chipsa ends up being Philadelphia's weakest link for the team, everybody else on Philadelphia is just too good to handle. Sato's main tank, god tier. Fury or Poco's off tank, god tier. God tier. Alarm, god tier. Carpe, god tier. Like it's really difficult to say to look at any of these players and find something wrong with them because them as individuals and as a team are just are just a force to be reckoned with not or to or to quote the Vancouver Titans a force of nature so it is going to be a very hard uh, match for the Vancouver Titans I see this going an easy 3-0 again against the Titans and favoring the fusions However, that being said, I am looking forward to see how the Vancouver Titans are going to bounce back from their loss. Because who knows, they might upset us after getting some practice in, in and take at least one map. I don't see them taking the match, I see them taking one map though. Now moving on, we have we have Toronto Defiant versus LA Balance. Now, I don't remember if it was Atlanta or Toronto, but I remember that one of the teams last week accidentally started a player that they weren't supposed to start but the player that they end up starting with and the lineup that they ended up starting won that first map and they ended up losing the series afterwards in a 1-3 fashion. If it's Toronto then well I guess you should go with the first line no lineup. Uh, if if not then I have no comments but but yeah no this is this is gonna be interesting in its own right because I feel like both of these teams are mid-tier teams. Now, Shax and KSF and KSP, maybe any of those DPS, uh, any of those DPS duos can work well for you know, for the Valiant. They have been putting Shax in more, so that that I feel like is going to be their better play, their better lineup. Just put Shax with KS, KSF like they have been, and against. Logics and agilities, or sure for and agilities. I I'd say that that's about an even match. The uh, matchup there, the, there. Um, Dreamer against Dreamer against Beast. No, Beast is on the Atlanta. My my bad. Um. Yeah, no, the main tanks are about the same. I think Nevix is uh, Nevix is the better off tank compared to McGravy. And I think that Toronto has the better support lineup compared to the Valiant. Granted, the Valiants kind of have those silent 
support you know supports where it's like you really don't care much about them, but they do do their job, their, their job. So they got that going for for them. I do think that this is going to be a three-one in favor of Toronto, especially if they put in Logics and Sherport because I think that was the lineup that got the quote-unquote accidental win against their last their last uh, matchup. If Toronto is the team that that happened to, so with that, I do believe that Toronto is just going to take this win. When it won't be easy, it'll definitely be close, but but it's still going to favor Toronto here, unless KSF and Shaq pull something out of their hat alongside the Dreamer or McGravy. And that concludes the Overwatch League schedules. Now we're going to introduce some, uh, something for uh, for this podcast, just in general. I'm going to introduce my side, uh, my side for now, and Dylan next week will uh, will uh, bring up his side of these things. But we're going to be giving our power rankings for the week. So my power rankings for uh, for the first week week, I'm actually going to go from bottom to top. No top. Because I want to get the easy one out of the way. Number 20 is going to be held by Boston Uprising. They're, I feel like their biggest issue is less about the players and more about the relation between the staff and the players. Because what I'm hearing a lot from is that the staff from is the staff from the Boston Uprising are well, it's more financial, if anything, anything, and it's just a rumor, so don't take my word for it. For it. But Boston Uprising, as an org, is not able to pay their their uh, players and staff more than the minimum, which is kind of sad. Sad, but it happens. It happens, I guess. And again, don't take my word for it. It's just a rumor. So with that, I. I I personally don't see how that would impact the players because if you're a competitive player in this team, you're going to play your best anyways, regardless of the paycheck. But for the relationship between staff and players, I think that that will have a uh, that is going to have some sort of a hindrance because because you need to have good relationship between everybody within an org. Otherwise, people are going to make complaints and it's going to bring out a bad PR for the org. So if I'm, then again, I could be wrong, so hopefully I am. But I really want Boston to do be- better. Maybe with the addition of Punk, they will do be- no, better. But it's one of those we're going to have to wait and see. But until that happens, they are undoubtedly the worst team in the league. In the league. 20th place for them. Above them is Vancouver Titans. Now, this is I've labeled this as debatable because... Vancouver Titans are a brand new team. Are a brand new team. They don't have a lot of Overwatch League experience under the not under their belt. And even then, when they first debuted, they only had a couple of days to practice together as a team. As a team, so that kind of worked against them. If Shanghai showed us anything, so everything from here on out is only going to improve with the Vancouver Titans now. If they start showing up and start taking maps and, and, and taking wins, then I'll put them higher on this, on my power rankings. But until that happens, 
say the only team that I can see them beating are are the Boston Uprising. Moving on, we have Washington Justice. Now, granted, they they did just beat the one the, the the Vancouver Titans did lose against Washington Justice now, in a pretty uh what's it called convincing fashion. But at the same time, a lot of a lot of the reason why Washington performed as well as or as bad as they did had to do with motivation because it, what Strata says in the post-game interview for his last match was that he when they canceled the homestead he really didn't feel motivated to play he was very audience driven so to speak and granted there's still an audience online just not that big of one when compared to the homestead so that to some players that does cause them to lose mo you know, motivation I believe Stratus is one of those players yeah, players, because what what a lot of pros will tell you is that when you're doing homestead and you have and you hear the audience, because you can't hear the audience through you know, through the uh, headsets, and you hear them cheering for you and chanting the team name or chanting the player no player name name, it's like having a seventh player on the team no on the team because it drives up motivation. So that lack of an audience, I believe, did hinder the Washington. Justice when they did have the lineup that they did. Now they're looking for a new DPS play, uh, player, so uh, so maybe we'll see some some uh, more power to you know, to their play. But until like like Vancouver, like Boston Uprising, until that happens, they are going to probably be one of the worst teams of the of the league. Not the worst that goes to Boston, but one of the worst team no teams. Up next we have. At the number 17 spot, we have the Shangdu Hunter. Now, I I'm actually going to say 16-17 with alongside the Hangzhou Spark here because they seem to be like opposites of each other. Like Shangdu has the organization and has and has the and has the um, better talent. Oh no, between the two teams. However, on the other Actually, no, I wouldn't even say better, no better talent because talent on both teams, I feel, are about equal. But on the flip, but on the flip end, I feel like, I feel like Hangzhou actually has the be better synergy with their players. Like, despite their bad play style and looking disorganized, it still seems like they're trying to be synergized to get, you know, together more often than, you know, than not. Which, as a team, you should be. You should be able to play with your team. Team, otherwise you're gonna have a bad time. But again, with both of those teams, it it's difficult to justify them being on higher rank, no rankings. Like I know that each of them have their own fan ba their bases, but I'm gonna get to this late later. I'm a fan of another one of the teams, and I wish that they were higher. But it's very difficult to justify anything that they're do they're doing. So 16 and 17 go to. Shangdu Hunters and Hangzhou Spark in no particular order. Number 15, however, I'm gonna put as the London Spitfire because even though I bash a lot that this this is a brand new team, team effectively they don't have a lot of experience in the Overwatch League, they are still a good team. So what I'm going to say is that my 15 through 10th spot are the teams that are good in their own right. But not good enough. Like there's something about the team that needs to needs to improve 
for them to be better. And for the London Spitfire, practice, practice, practice. Like, all they need is just all the practice in the world, so, so to speak, to be a better team. No team. They need they need to just practice what they're good at, work, you know, work on covering their weaknesses, and they can look to be better than you no know, better than some of the other teams that I'm about to mention. For example, in the number in the number 14 spot, I put the Houston Outlaws, the one team that well, not the one team, but if I were to pick any team to stay to be 100% loyal to you know, to to say that they're always going to win 3-0 even though I know that's not true in a lot of cases. It's the Houston Outlaws. And I want them to be better. The past the past few weeks, a lot of it was really in the poor play style of, of Muma. But in the past, some of the losses has also been in their DPS lineup. It's also been in their support lineup. And I want the Houston I want the Houston team to do better. So, the way that I would say that Houston would do better, first off, they're already doing right by keeping Dante in the starting lineup like 100% of the time. They're, whatchamacallit, they are, do, you know, they're doing their best with keeping their support lines consistent, because it used to be at the beginning of the season, they would often swap the rappel and the Rockets and in a couple of the more recent matches, they even have them playing together. So there are some things that Houston are working out. The biggest thing that I think Houston needs to change is not get a new main tank because I think Muma is a great main tank, especially on the on the dive tanks and and the Orissa. Ryan leaves a little bit to be desired to be desired, but it's still good in his own right. No, right? But more of like I think Houston needs, or not Houston, but more like Muma needs to adjust his play style no, a, a bit to be more team centric because it almost feels like part of the reason why Muma Muma uh, hinders his team, so to speak, it's because he tries to go for the flashy plays, which at that level you can kind of get away with on ladder. Not so much on no, on matches like the Overwatch League where every map counts counts every match count that counts and stuff like that so yeah disappointing number 14 spot for the Houston Outlaws for me I want them to do better next we have the Toronto Defiant now another thing that I do want to mention with the 10 to 15 spots is that all of them are debatable as far as where they go to go I do think that um, Toronto has the edge over over Houston in this case because uh, because mainly because of their support lineup like Kriv and and Roki and even Cruz to some degree they're all really strong support no support like it's very difficult to to uh, look at the support lineup for Houston and for Defiant and justify Houston's support lineup like Jexay yeah he's fine Kariv can outplay him. Um, Rockus, again, he's fine on his not on his role. Roki can outplay him. Rappel, same thing. Roki can outplay him. Play him. So, and that is what I think gave Toronto the edge this power ranking. However, the other parts of it could still be up for, not up for debate. 
So, so until that happens, lucky number 13 for the Toronto. Excuse me. Now, at the number 12 spot, we have the Los Angeles Valiants. I feel like this team, it, it, like, gen this is more of a general speak. Yeah, speaking. Yeah, so, like, in the last matchup, I still believe that Toronto is going to beat the Valiant. However, however, that doesn't mean that Valiant is a bad team. They have strong players in Dreamer, in KSF, in KSB, in, in um, Shax. But at the same time, it seems like a lot of their fights, the reason why they win is because they win off of the sloppiness of, of the fight. When it comes to 100% coordinated and properly executed fights, that is when things go south for, you know, for the LA Valiant. So all they really need to do is just clean up their fights. If they can win fights more, clean, more cleanly, then they would be better on the ranking. So Valiant, if you're listening to, you know, to this, yeah. Do a little cleanup. <laughs> and the number 11 spot, we I put the Seoul Dynasty. Now, Seoul has had a strong, strong start this season. However, they did kind of fall off in some of the more recent ma net matches. So, that's why they're in the number 11 spot. I thought that they were going to be the best team in the APEC region. And then I saw Shanghai, and I think that kind of messed with their heads a little bit. So, yeah. I'm a little bit disappointed on the team because now I'm almost forced to say that they are the most overrated team in the Overwatch League, and I said that in a previous episode too, you know, too, and kind of had to explain my reasoning on why the change. So yeah, number eleven for Soul Dynasty. Now moving on to my top ten of the of this season's uh, Overwatch League matches. At number ten. I put begrudgingly on this because I put the Dallas Fuel. If anybody knows anything about the Dallas Fuel and the Houston Outlaws, they have been rivals since season one because of Battle for Texas. So, you know, so I, I just begrudgingly put Dallas Fuel on the number ten because they are just a strong lineup to deal, you know, to deal with. It's very difficult to justify putting them lo lower when they have Goa, when they have Decay, Note, Crimzo, and, clo and Closer. I can't really say much for Gamsu because I feel like Gamsu just needs to perform better in order for Dallas to be as good as some of the top teams that I'm going to me mention. So, unless Gamsu either gets better at being main tank or Dallas finds a better main tank to have on their lineup, they're probably going to maintain that number 10 spot. They might jump up one or two, they might jump down one or two depending on their performances. It's really difficult to see them as anything below top 10 though. Up next we have the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now I put this because a lot of the Gladiators work and wins have been on the backs of Bird Ring, of Mirror, of Space, of, o of OG. LA Gladiators, I feel like, are a well-rounded team, no team to have. No to have one of them, at least. No, at least. However, there's just things about their small things about their plays that kind of just mm, 
Again, very difficult to justify them being below. And being below the, um... Whatchamacallit. The top 10 spot. But at the same time, I don't think that they can do any better than the teams above them. Above them. With their current strategies and play styles and all that. So with that said and done. Moving on to the number 8 spot. I have the Guangzhou Charge. Now, granted. I, br I put in the Guangzhou Charge because they have a really strong brawl. Uh, brawl composition. That is, I think, their bread and butter. Which I'm not saying it's wrong. But it also makes the, the, them... Um, Less flexible than what uh, than what needs to be to be a top team. Uh, team. Like I, I still think that they need to work on their spam. Definitely need to work on their dive, even though dive is never going to be meta in Owl. But their spam definitely needs to have a, a definitely has a lot to be desired from. So yeah, as long as Shang Du just works on their spam and tries to perfect spam composition, then they could be a better team. If not, they still have brawl, their brawl compositions to fall back on, and that'll be good, good enough to keep them as a top 10 team. Good team. Now, the number 7 spot I have as the Florida Mayhem. BQB and Yaki have been mainly the backbone of the team, as well as Chris and Gargoyle, and I'm already forgetting the name of their second support. Their tank play. You know, players has been um, it can really be interchangeable like they have good tank no tank players but the main tank is one of those one of those where it could just be interchangeable and Florida will still perform well regardless of you know, all that so really the backbone uh, of the of the Florida mayhem has been BQB Yaki Chris gargoyle and Gangnanjin. The gym. I just looked up the roster while I was rambling there. And that I think earns them the number seven spot. I don't know if they if they are going to be able to make the top five spot, but top seven is still nothing to laugh you know to laugh at. I still think that it's a good enough spot where teams should start taking well teams and the community should start take you know, taking a look at them more seriously. And with this and with that we have the Atlanta Reign at number 6 for my power rankings. And a lot of it is because Atlanta Reign is a good team. Do not get me wrong on that. They are a solid team in the Overwatch League. It's very difficult to have anything bad for them. What kind of kills me a little bit is when they go just a tad bit off, off meta, like say running a Torbjorn. Because I know that Torbjorn is more normalized now than ever before in the history of Overwatch as a game. But still, when they first brought out the Torbjorn, I I just felt somewhat insulted. Because it's like, okay, you're BMing against a team that's significantly worse than you. And and to me, it's like, that kind of took away points for, for me. I don't deny that Atlanta is a good team and they have since taken other teams more seriously but still their sense of memory it I just don't I just don't think it's I can't say it's not appropriate because it definitely is appropriate in the pro league even but it's almost like unwanted or ill-intended for me personally I'm pretty sure that Dylan will have 
uh, things to say otherwise. But yeah. Moving on, we have in the top five, starting at number five. Now, granted, these top five can be in actually, actually, no, no, no the top three can be in any order. But in number five, we have, or I put down, Paris Eternal as a top five, you know, five team. They have just strong everything when it comes to their lineup: strong synergies, strong DPS, strong, you know, strong tanks, strong supports, just strong everything they are a super strong team and I kind of feel bad that they're being looked down on but at the same time the time there is just everything that comes from here on out as far as the as far as the, my power rankings goes down to the nitty-gritty details like I think that fielder as well as he's been performing the 200 ping is going to set him off again against the more well-known team or the higher teams that I have above uh, Paris but it is working again against the other teams on this list not on this list below the number five spot that spot so good on them they have this week to prove me wrong wrong I really hope that they do so they secured the number five spot number four spot I put the New York Excelsior now normally I would put the New York Excel in within the top three but this season, they kind of been uh, a little bit lackluster in some cases. So, yeah, I'm not too stoked about their perform their performances recently. Recently, granted, they're still a very strong team, but because they're a strong team, I just, I just, uh, I can't see them anything below top, top five. They've been performing that well, that well just generally. So, number four spot it. It is, and they really need to clean up their the axe. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how New York improves or not. And uh, uh, coming up now, here we go into the top three. Now, the following teams that I'm going to mention, while I have them in their spots, they can really go in any order. The first team at the number three spot, I have the Shanghai. Dragons. Now, Shanghai Dragons is right now the dominating team in the Asian region. That being said, we have not seen them play any of the North American teams. So, while they are good, I don't know if they're good against the, the two teams that I have above them. They, they might as well be, but there's no way to know because those... Because the, these three teams are just never going to beat up and so for now that's why I have Shanghai at the number three but they might be good enough to be the number one we're gonna have to see as soon as the Asian regions can meet up with with the North American region now moving on to my number two for this list the San Francisco Shock these guys have proven time and time again that they can adapt to nearly anything that that, that comes their way. No way. They have a strong player in Rascal, actually. So, so now I put I put Rascal on a high pedestal there because apparently when Baptiste came out, he was the one that taught that taught Moth or no or Violet how to play Baptiste. So. 
when you have a player like that on your team, they're bound to do work. And he definitely did work with Echo in, in their matchup against Houston. Granted, it was against Houston, but still, but still, Chalk has been, Chalk has been a very, very strong team. Team difficult to take down, but not as difficult as my number one team for the power rankings, the Philadelphia Fusions. Now, I say and I maintain that the top three teams can be interchangeable with any of their slots. Philadelphia Fusions, it's very difficult to say otherwise because if there's one thing that they have over San Francisco in particular is consistency. Whatever lineup they play, whatever matchup they play, Philadelphia is very consistent at it. They've only lost once and I was at a homestand. Uh, so, uh, so I do not see Philadelphia Fusion losing any more matches. Maybe against the Shanghai, and that's a very strong maybe. Because again, we're not going to see these teams pair up against each other, each other because of the different region. So, as of right now, I'm putting Philadelphia Fusion in the number one spot.
going to be a good uh, change coming up in the future. We are still going to be seeing the competitive wheel in one of the next patch nodes, and I believe it's coming out, or not competitive wheel, the communications wheel, no wheel, and one of the upcoming patches, 1.48. My guess is that that is the new season. And with that, we are actually done with this episode. A little bit shorter, but not by much. So, yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in. Special thanks to Dude Media Network for hosting not only Overwatch Snap now, but also breaking the lore, breaking the lore, another podcast, another podcast made by very good friends of myself and Dylan the Dude. So, no, so be sure to give them a check. No, check. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on, Pod, no, on Podbean. And this has been Overwatch Now, your one-stop shop for all things Overwatch related. Have a good night, guys.